Welcome to ECCC, those of you who are in person. If you are a young'un, you can follow Lauren out of the room right now. If you are not a young'un, then uh, stay put, and we're going to talk about the book of Romans. We are continuing in our series uh, that we started several weeks ago. We are in sermon number seven. Now, I have confused a handful of people because I've spent more than one week in one chapter. So even though we're in chapter 5, this is sermon number 7. Now I uh, have to add to that that we could spend 52 weeks in the book of Romans and barely scratch the surface. So I want you to bear with me uh, in how many weeks we spend. I I still am not sure how many. We're going to, like I said, we're going to take a break here and there. Uh, But um, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Romans because it is so, so meaningful, it's so practical, and it just helps us to live out our faith the way that uh, I believe Jesus wants us to. So today we're going to be in the second part of chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Last week we talked about uh, the benefits of our relationship with Jesus how we have peace with God, we have access to God, we have hope, we, we, we build character, we have the assurance of God's love, we have complete reconciliation with God with whom we were once separated. This week we're going to take a look at how sin entered into the world through Adam and how that sin was conquered through Jesus Christ. Now, you have to understand the sports-minded person inside of me couldn't help but title this sermon, The Sin of Adam versus the Grace of Jesus, because it is kind of this battle, but it's not a game. It is this battle in which the sin that entered the world through Adam is up against the opponent of grace in Jesus Christ. And I think we all know who wins, but sometimes we don't feel like we've won, do we? Sometimes we feel like um, a little less than uh, in a right relationship with God, even though we have surrendered our life to Him, we've, we've, we've confessed Him as the Christ, we've been baptized into Him, but sometimes, as we talked about last week, we don't always feel so saved. We don't always feel so uh, in right standing with, with God. Some people have a difficult time accepting that. Well, let's dive in, beginning with verse 12 of Romans 5, and see what Paul has to say to us today. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. He's referring to Jesus as the the second Adam, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification of life for all people, or and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this gets very wordy, I understand, and you're probably kind of sitting there going, I'm not sure if I'm following everything that Paul is trying to say to us here, but here's the gist of what he's talking about. Sin enters into the world through Adam, and, and Dave referred to that uh, in his communion meditation. That was a, that was a great job of, of being with the theme there. Uh, sin enters into the world through Adam. We are freely involved in sin. We are freely involved in making poor choices that we call sin. We've all made dumb decisions that have led to bad, even disastrous results. All right? Now, here's what Adam is not saying. Adam is not, or Paul is not saying that just because Adam sinned, you are automatically a sinner. He's saying we are born with this sin nature. And so that doesn't automatically just say, okay, we came out and we're really, really bad people from the get-go. It says that we have this sin nature and we are prone to doing sinful things. I heard a story about a boy who lived in the country and his family had an outhouse. And the boy hated the outhouse. And in the summertime it was hot. And in the wintertime it was cold. And all year long it was smelly. And the, out, the outhouse was, was uh, located near the creek. And so the boy one day decided, I'm just going to push that outhouse over into the creek and get rid of it. And one day the spring rain had swelled the creek to a, a height where it was a lot easier for him to push in. So the boy pushed it in. And later that night... His dad came to him and said, son, I need to meet you behind the woodshed. And the boy knew what this meant. You know? And his father said, now, why did you push the outhouse into the creek? I have reason to believe. In fact, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm 100% sure. You, you did that. You pushed the outhouse into the creek. You're the one that did it. And the boy said, yes, dad, it was me. And then he added, dad, do you remember when George Washington's father asked him if he chopped down the cherry tree, he didn't get in trouble because he told the truth, right? And the dad said, yeah, that's correct. But George Washington's father was not in the cherry tree whenever it was chopped down. <laughs> now, <laughs> y'all just got a visual, didn't you, Roger? You going to be okay? I, I see you got that visual here. Most of us have never done anything like that, right? We can identify, however, with the boy in at least three different ways. The first one is that we have this urge within us to do wrong. Sometimes we just see things, especially when we're immature in our faith and we're young in our walk, we see things, we say, well, what's the harm in that? And so we have this tendency to want to do wrong. We call it their sinful nature. And then we also have the similarity that our sinful acts affect other people. 
There are consequences to the sins that we make. There are hurts that happen in some people's lives because we choose to sin. And then third, there are consequences to our poor choices. But when we decide to make the Lord Jesus our Savior, we we do that less and less. We sin less and less and less. Now that doesn't mean that we become sinless, but we do sin less and less and less. And when we are baptized into Christ, Jesus sees us as sinless, even though we are not sinless. We still have this tendency to do wrong things. But when Jesus looks at us, He sees us as sinless. And so, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God looks at us and He sees us as if we've never done anything wrong. And so there's some things we need to understand about, about this. The first thing is this. When we deserve death, He gave us life. Paul is saying that sin entered into the world through one man, and that man is Adam. And now Paul says that even though that sin entered through Adam... Uh, and, and I think, it's, this is a little bit of a side note, I think it's interesting that Paul says sin entered in through Adam, right? We clearly read in Genesis that Eve was the first one to disobey God, and I believe that the reason that Paul says Adam was the one who allowed sin to enter in is because God is saying, um, listen guys, you're the spiritual leader of the home. It, this is on you. You're responsible for your household. You're the spiritual leader. You are the one who is in, in, in charge, right? We read in Genesis, what's the big deal, right? It's just an apple. I mean, it's not like it was a Honeycrisp or apple or something like that. You know, I mean, it was just this, just this apple in the tree. And, and the, the deal is this. They chose to disobey God, right? That's the deal. They, God said, don't do this. And they clearly did this, right? I think Paul is saying, listen, the spiritual formation, the spiritual climate of the home rests on the leadership of the male. But the problem is this. He allowed that sin to creep into his home and they disobeyed. They purposely disobeyed God. And then, you know, after Eve ate it, Adam, Adam did too. And because of that choice, the Bible says that sin and death entered into the world. And because of that choice, uh, heartache and pain and sickness and death has been a part of our world ever since. God created the world hoping that we wouldn't do that even though he knew we would, but he, was, he, he created us perfect in perfect fellowship with him without all of this sin and death and darkness and turmoil. But we blew it. And so now we're born into this world with this leaning toward sin. And again, I don't believe the Bible teaches that we are born sinners. I don't think we're, we're, we're born uh, that, that way. No offense to Lady Gaga. I don't think we're born that way. I don't think we're, we're born as sinners. I, I think we are born with this inclination to sin. I believe the Bible teaches us that we're born with a sinful nature. And this is why I don't believe it's necessary to baptize babies and that all babies, whenever they pass from this life, if something tragic were to happen to a baby, I believe they immediately go to heaven to be with, with Jesus because there's no sin. They're, they're, absolutely, they're absolutely perfect. 
but our sinful nature is part of, of who we are when we're, we're born. And by, their, by ourselves, there's nothing we could ever do to escape our sinful nature. So without Jesus in our lives, death reigns over all of us. But Jesus wants to give us life, right? And we see here in this truth... Um, Three times in our scripture today that he wants to give us life. First in verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? So Paul is saying, listen, at one point you were dead. You had no hope. Sin had entered into your life. Death had entered into your life. But now because of Jesus, you have the opportunity for life to reign. Verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act re resulted in justification and life for all people. Verse 21, so that just as in sin uh, reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants to give eternal life to everyone. It's not a select few. It's everyone. It's not just one race. It's not just one type of church. It's everyone. He wants everyone. That's why, that's why He was willing to come so that none should perish, but everyone have the opportunity for everlasting life. And then He says this in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Not just... Not just life to muddle through. Not just life with no meaning. Not just life until you die and then, you know, who knows what happens to you. Life to the fullest. There's a story that's been told about an encounter during World War II about a social worker or a relief worker and a small child. And it goes something like this. During the, the war, the relief worker was going into where the war zone was and and uh, she was holding a, a glass of, of milk and she was giving it to, to kids, different kids, and, and passing out glasses of milk. And this one little boy's hungry eyes, they, they got really big when he saw the milk and they looked really, really big because he was just basically starving because he was so skinny and so his eyes are, and he's just, man, his, his little face just, just lights up. And he started to remember the time when he would have to share one glass of milk with a lot of different children. And so the little boy asks the relief worker, how much can I drink, ma'am? And the relief worker was greatly moved by his question, and she said, you drink as much as you can, son. As much as you can. Well, I think that's what God is saying to us. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. Listen, I have come that you might have life, and you might have it to the fullest, and you drink as much of me as you possibly can. You get into my word. You get into the things that I want to have for your life. Those good things that I want to give to you. And you drink as much as you can. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've, I've quoted this song many times before and it just popped into my mind again, but Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song back in the late 80s called There's No Better Place on Earth Than the Road That Leads to Heaven. I, I don't care what the world is offering you, there's nothing better in this life than to be on the road that leads to heaven and enjoy 
the abundant life that Jesus wants to give you. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, death is gone forever and new life begins. And that's good news because here's what I think a lot of people think. A lot of people, when we think of eternal life, we think eternal life is something that happens after we die. But when you surrender your life to Jesus and you're baptized into Him, eternal life starts then. Did you know that? It it, it means that you'll never die. Now, these old bodies that we have, they're going to wear out, right? They're going to cease to exist. But our souls will live on forever. And so eternal life starts when you surrender your life to Christ and you are baptized into Him and you are raised to new life and you'll never die. Second, when we should be full of guilt, we're covered by grace. That's the good news that Paul gives us today in verse 12. He's telling us that every single one of us is guilty except for Jesus. Every single one of us have sinned. We talked about that in Romans chapter 3. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. But God gives grace to everyone who decides to put their trust in Jesus. Listen to what Paul is saying. The the grace that he's talking about here in verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. So he's saying the gift of grace, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, it's way different than the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Verses 17, 19, and 20 say it as well. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in. Now listen to this. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. In other words, the law was brought in so that we would be made aware of just how much we were sinning. But, the more you became aware of the sin that's in your life, where where sin increased, where you realized just how much more guilty you were, Paul says, Jesus has covered you with that much more grace. He's saying where sin multiplied and sin started running rampant in your life because you became aware of it, grace multiplied even more. The idea behind the original word is that grace overflowed beyond measure. And there's no telling how much His grace overflows on us every day. Because we've all sinned and sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't even know. And instead of us living a life that leads to guilt and shame and ultimately death, God gives us grace through Jesus Christ. I heard a story about a defendant who was on trial for murder in Oklahoma and there was strong evidence against the uh, uh, defendant indicating his guilt. But they never found the body. They never produced a corpse. You know? And in the defense's closing statement, the lawyer, knowing that his defendant was probably going to be found um, guilty, he resorted to a trick. And here's what he did. He said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. And he looked at his watch and he said, within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case 
will walk into the courtroom and then he turned around and he looked at the courtroom door. Well, the jurors were somewhat stunned at what he had said and they all looked on eagerly and a minute passed and nothing happened. And finally, the lawyer said, actually, I made up the previous statement, but you all looked. You all anticipated that the guy is still alive. I therefore present to you that there is reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was killed, and I insist that you return with a verdict of not guilty. Well, the jury was very confused, and they retired to deliberate. And they came back a short time later, just a few minutes later, and they said, He's guilty. And the lawyer said, but how? You must have had some doubt. I saw every single one of you in the jury. You looked at the door. And the foreman of the jury said, yeah, we did look, but your client didn't. Here's the deal. We're like that client. We're like that defendant. We're all guilty of sin. We know that really we deserve death. We know that we are guilty. We know that we've done wrong. But here's, here's the good news, and this is the point uh, number three that I want to share with you. When we should be condemned, we've been justified. When, when we should be found guilty and condemned to death, which is the s- sentence for sin, We've been justified. You say, okay, what does that mean? And the best way I ever learned the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. We've been justified. Every one of us are like the defendant in the courtroom that I just spoke about. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. But Jesus steps in as the only one who can judge us and says He's not guilty. She's forgiven. And not only are you forgiven and not only do I find you not guilty when my father looks at you, I look, he looks at you as if you have never committed a sin in your life. So not only is all of those things that you've done in your past forgive, been forgiven of, when God looks at you, it's, it's as if you've never done them. That's what imputing righteousness means, right? When we read that passage of Scripture that, that God imputed Christ's righteousness on us, what it means is He took the righteousness of Jesus and He placed it on us. And so when God looks at us, it's as if He sees His Son who was perfect. He doesn't see that mistake that you made. And that is so freeing as a believer in Jesus Christ that when we understand in spite of our sins, God sees us as spotless. It gives us freedom to live the life that God has called us to live. That doesn't give us freedom to go out and live life any way we want to and continue in sin so that more grace can be poured out on us. Paul deals with that as well a little bit later on. But here's the problem. Satan wants to keep us bound to our sin. He wants to keep us chained to our past. He wants to keep reminding us of all of the stupid things that we've done. God sees us as spotless. Satan sees us as his slave. And that's what he wants. All right? Every opportunity we've ever blown it, he wants us to stay chained to that that decision that we made. But according to what Paul has said in this section of Romans, and this is the fourth point of the message this morning, when we should be bound in slavery, 
He's freed us. He's given us freedom. When we should be chained to our mistakes, He has made us free. Look at verses 20 and 21. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so without Jesus in our lives, sin is the ruler of our lives. We are slaves to sin. If we don't have Jesus, we are slaves to sin. But we don't have to be slaves. That's the good news. Jesus came to set the captives free. Again, as Dave said in his communion meditation, He came in the world to, not to condemn the world. He came to save the world. So that we can be free. Listen to how the message paraphrases this verse 20 and 21. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition. And I love the way it's written here. The aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. Isn't that nice to to think that God aggressively forgives us? You know, he's not sitting up there going, man, you know, yeah, all right. I guess, you know, I was pretty bad one that you did, but yeah, it's all right. No, he, he aggressive. He cannot wait for us to come to him and repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness so that he can pour out his grace even more on us. But Satan's main objective is to destroy us. He hates us. He's going to do everything within his power to, as, as the word says, kill, steal, or destroy. And he's going to do everything that he can to make that happen. Now, I don't know, have you ever imagined what it would be like to be captured and imprisoned by someone who absolutely hates you? Tom Sutherland knew what that was like. June 9th, 1985, he was kidnapped by Islamic Jihad terrorists in Lebanon. And he wasn't released until November 18th, 1991. So he was kidnapped in 1985, released in 91. He was held prisoner for about six and a half years by a bunch of people who hated him. There were other hostages there, but much of the six years, Tom was in solitary confinement. And so the captors, what they would do is they would make up rules as they went along, and the slightest infraction of these rules would be the, the butt of a rifle to his gut or a punch in the face. Um, and they would bind the hostages and blindfold them and just beat the tar out of them, basically. The food that they did receive to eat, much of the time was uh, crawling with insects. Sometimes prisoners were pulled aside and lied to about being released. They'd say, hey, we're going to release you. And then they had no intention of releasing them. The day would come and they'd be crushed again. Just crushing. They'd do everything they could do to crush their spirit again and again and again. On some days, Tom could hear the radio in the distance as uh, the captors would... um, listen to the BBC, and every day he would strain to hear the news. He was hoping and praying that someday he might hear his name on there and that a negotiation had been made. He was going to be released. But Tom never did hear his name. But he was not forgotten. And after six and a half long years, he won his freedom. 
And Tom's wife was able to join him for the flight home. And as they fly into the airport, they're getting off the plane. Tom was amazed to see all the lights and to see all the camera. They had a red carpet rolled out. And there were uh, reporters there and they're holding signs. There's a huge crowd. And Tom turned to his wife and said, Gene, look at all these people. There must be some celebrity on this plane or something. He said, look around. See if you can see who the celebrity is. And his wife replied, honey, they're all here for you. It's you. This, this is all for you. And there was this great celebration of freedom as everybody's just going crazy and welcoming this guy back and celebrating the freedom that he now has. But listen to this, guys. This, this is an amazing story of someone finding their freedom here in this life, but it's nothing in comparison to the celebration that we will have one day when we leave this life And we stand in the presence of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, it's nothing in comparison to the celebration that takes place when you make the decision to surrender your life to Christ and be baptized here. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 15. Remember Jesus is telling all these stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, also known as the prodigal son. Remember He's telling that story? He says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So someone who repents and is baptized into Christ, I see this big old party going up in heaven, this big old celebration going on because you have now won your freedom. The sin of Adam or the grace of Jesus. It's no competition, guys. If you're in Christ, you win. But the Bible's also very clear that it's not just for anybody. It's only for those who confess Jesus as the Christ and repent of their sins and are baptized into Him. I wish you'd consider that today if you've not made that decision. If you're here um, in the service today and and you want to make that decision, we encourage you to to come to the front. If you're watching online, um, you can text READY to the church connection number that's on the screen. Um, send us a Facebook message or an email. Call the office. You say, well, you know, I'd like to talk more about it. Maybe you're here and you'd like to talk more about it. You can text to that number as well and we'll get with you after the service sometime today and, and we'll talk to you about what it means to, to become a Christian and have those sins taken from you and have those chains broken. And how you can live your life in freedom. I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. And today if you want to confess Jesus as the Christ. We encourage you to come. Let's pray.